Today I've entitled the message, Our Mission-Minded Messiah. And uh, we're going to look at a couple field trips that Jesus took. Uh, anybody like field trips when you were in school? They were kind of fun because you got out of the classroom and you didn't have to study, right? And it was fun to go on field trips. Uh, it reminded me of the couple that went on a field trip uh, a number of years ago, a vacation, I guess we'd call it a field trip. And they went to the airport and they were checking in their luggage. They had a green suitcase and a red suitcase. And the guy says, we're flying over to England. And he said, I want you to send the green suitcase to London and the red one to Hawaii. And the lady at the counter said, sir, I'm sorry, but we can't do that. He said, oh, yes, you can. You did it last year when we traveled this same trip. <laughs> so sometimes when you travel, you never know. Uh, what's going to happen. Um, here, Jesus, in John 7, we're going to pick up in verse 24, uh, but we looked last week at the whole idea of tradition versus truth. Are we living by truth, or are we just merely practicing tradition? So Jesus had just finished giving a scathing rebuke to the Pharisees, Pressure had been mounting as he's now spent a year plus in Galilee doing ministry. So he decides to venture outside of Galilee into Gentile territory. And he does that uh, because for two reasons, I think. One is he wants to get some rest and escape from all the pressure of the Pharisees. Not that he couldn't handle it, but to get away to rest. But also... He wanted to get the disciples away so he could train them and equip them and concentrate on them instead of constantly having to battle with the Pharisees. And so because at this point, Jesus only has about a year left before he goes to the cross. So he knows his time is limited. He also knows that his time is in the Father's hands and he's not going to allow them to execute him early. So he takes this field trip, as it were, out of town uh, to do this. Now, this is significant because Jesus is now expanding his ministry to the Gentiles. He was called to bring the gospel to the Jews, and now he is going for the first time that we know of outside the region into Gentile territory. We need to remember, too, that the Gospel of Mark was written mainly for a Gentile audience. We will learn through these field trips that Jesus takes that the Gospel is not limited to the Jews, but it is for the whole world. Now, the first century Jews struggled with this idea, as the early church did not believe that Gentiles, you say, who are Gentiles? We understand Jews. Gentiles are anyone that's a non-Jew. You are a Gentile if you're not a Jew. You are a Gentile. So that's just the way it is. And so the first century Jews, though, in Jesus' day, struggled with the idea that the Gentiles could even be saved at all, especially without converting to Judaism. So Israel looked at people who were not Jews, and here's how they viewed them. Here's how they viewed us, as unclean and outcasts, with no opportunity to know God. However, 
Isaiah prophesied that there would be a light that would come to the Gentiles. That light was supposed to come through Israel, but Israel failed in their mission. Jesus will not fail in his mission. He brings the gospel to the Gentiles. And we're going to look at a verse later in Isaiah that shows that very idea of prophecy. But I want to fast forward ahead just for a moment to go into the book of Acts for a moment and look at what happened after Jesus ascends into heaven. Of course, before he ascends, what's the message that he gets? What is the last message he gives to the disciples? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that other people of all nations might come to know Jesus Christ to be the Savior. That was his message. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That was given to the disciples. It's also given to us. It is the commission of the world. Notice he doesn't say, go to church and become a disciple. Yeah, we are to do that. But we are to go out into the world. The church is to go into the world to preach the gospel so that the church can expand. There's no other expansion plan from God to the church other than the Great Commission. There isn't another expansion plan. That's it. That is the plan. And he chooses to use you and I to do that. But when we fast forward to the book of Acts, so Jesus has ascended. That commission has been given to the church. And now the church begins at Pentecost among the Jews, because the gospel came to the Jews first, and now it's expanding to the Gentiles through the disciples. And watch, look at this verse with me in Acts 10.28. He said to them, you yourselves, this is Peter talking, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Here, Cornelius was a centurion. At the beginning of the chapter, Cornelius has a vision that he is to send for someone in Joppa to come and share with him a message. So he sends his servants to Joppa to find Simon, who is in Joppa, a coastal city, to come and bring the message to him. While the servants are on their way to bring that message, guess what happens? Peter's up on the rooftop and he has this vision that God gives him. And it's a big sheet that comes down. And he sees this sheet and it has all kinds of animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds. And he sees that and he tells Peter to get up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, oh no, Lord. He says, I can't eat that. That's unclean food. And you know what Jesus, God tells him? Don't call common or unclean what I call clean. Well, Peter didn't understand. What in the world does that mean? These servants come, say you're supposed to go with me. Peter's trying to figure it out. And while he goes with them, it's revealed to him when he gets to Cornelius' house that Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter is there with a room full of people to share the gospel with the Gentiles. The very thing that Jesus modeled for the disciples, Peter is now carrying out. There can be no greater joy 
for Jesus or for a pastor than to share with people and encourage them to go out and to see them go out and share the gospel. And that's what happened. And so look what happens then a little bit later. Um, you know, it should have had verse 34. There it is. So Peter opens his mouth in the house with Cornelius and all these. And he says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Fears him, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Cornelius put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ because Peter was willing to take a field trip from Joppa to Caesarea to bring the gospel. God is calling us to do the same thing. But there was a struggle in the church because the Jewish people did not want to accept the Gentiles. Look what happens in chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. They should have been thrilled about it, but they weren't. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision, who is the Jewish people, partly criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. What are you doing hanging out with unclean people? He went because God told him to. There may be some people that are unclean that God wants us to go to. We were all unclean at one point, were we not? And God wants us to take the gospel to them, and we need to do that. I said that Israel... God called Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. Let me just give you a quick Old Testament story. Remember David and Goliath? David goes out and faces Goliath. He slays Goliath with that sling and that stone. Do you know what the crux of that story was all about? Yeah, faith in God and all that. It was that the world would know that there's a God in Israel. Listen to this. In 1 Samuel, I don't have this verse on the overhead, but 1 Samuel 17, 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. And why was he cutting off his head and doing that? He says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was David's mission. That was Israel's mission, that people would know that there was a God in Israel. Israel failed in that mission. We even seen Jonah, when he was first called to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, he reneged on that and wouldn't go to show us how not to do it. And then the second time he went. Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah to be a light to the Gentiles. Here's the verse I was referring to a while ago. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. So Jesus could not just stay with the Jewish people. He had to go to the Gentiles and that's what he did. And that's what brings us to this passage of scripture this morning. So the first thing we see here in this passage is Jesus takes a field trip to Tyre. 
Look with me in verse 24, Mark chapter 7. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Jesus is training, remember, the twelve. They are there. They witness what he does. They do not yet feel confident in their mission. But here's something we all need to be reminded of because so many times when it comes to sharing our faith, we all become fearful. Here's what Hudson Taylor said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. And this is what we need to be reminded of, that God chose 12 ordinary disciples to share the gospel. He did not pick theologians, he picked fishermen, (laughs) a tax collector, ordinary people. We are ordinary people that God wants to use to share the gospel. God wants to use every one of you. If you trace your history of how you came to even be in Huron, South Dakota, I mean, I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, and then I moved to Virginia. I met a gal from Pennsylvania, (laughs) a Steeler fan at that. I mean, but anyhow, I've forgiven her for that. But anyhow, and then we stay in Virginia for a number of years and God calls us here. And think back of your own story, how God has traced your story to bring you here to rub shoulders with people in Huron that need Jesus Christ. He has brought you here for such a time as this to reach people with the gospel. Where you are employed, the people you rub shoulders with in the marketplace, he wants to use to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Jesus. So here is our mission-minded Messiah. He reaches out to a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile from Tyre, and she comes to faith in Christ. Do you have the map handy there? I've got a map I want to show you because I think this will be very helpful. It's a little small, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you can close in on that a little bit. All right, and can, yeah, and bring it down. Okay, right here is Galilee, and of course Jesus' ministry uh, did a lot of ministry right in Capernaum, that's where he was based, in Capernaum, which is, and right here is the Sea of Galilee, so Capernaum is northwest of, just northwest of the Sea of Galilee. He travels up here to Tyre, which would be about 35 miles northwest. Now they travel on foot, they didn't have a car. So he travels all the way up there. And then his next field trip is going to be 20 miles north, and this is along the seacoast. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. So we're on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This is about 20 more miles up. 
And the reason this is significant, because it doesn't, I, it doesn't clearly say why he traveled up to Sidon. But from Sidon, where did my thing go? From Sidon, Jesus travels east, and then he travels south all the way down here to the Decapolis. The Decapolis is 10 cities, Deca for 10, Polis for cities. It is 10 cities. Now, people might not totally agree on what all those cities are, but nevertheless, it is a Gentile region as well. And you might recall when we studied in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5, Jesus healed a demoniac. That demoniac was from the Decapolis region. So it was not a pleasant place to be. But Jesus travels all the way down here to minister in the next story and the story after that, which would have been quite a journey. I don't even know how many miles that would be for sure, but that would take days uh, to do that. So I wanted you to see that. So he's traveled out of that region, up to Tyre, and then up to Sidon. This is a Phoenician, and here you see Syrophoenician. So this whole area here is Syrophoenicia. Today, this would be modern-day Lebanon. Um, and Mario, I don't know where he's at. Mario was born in Lebanon. He's Lebanese. So that would be his home area. So Jesus ventures up there, and he goes to this Gentile region because he has been rejected by his own people. This is also the same area that Elijah traveled to 900 years earlier when he faced a drought and he met the widow of Zarephath. Um, you can go back to the PowerPoint now. Thank you. Uh, where he said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And that would have been a Gentile widow that God used to feed Elijah. So God was at work for many, many years uh, in this place of the world. You also remember Jezebel, uh, Jezebel who married wicked King Ahab was the daughter of Ethbal who was the king of the Sidonians um, as well. So Jesus, this woman comes to Jesus, she hears about Jesus, she's probably heard about him even though he's 35 miles from Capernaum. Word had spread. She comes in, she hears about him. In verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First of all, we need to recognize that there were several strikes against this woman to even approach Jesus. The first strike is this. She was a woman. In Jewish culture, women were considered inferior to men. They were considered second-class citizens. Now, it shouldn't have been, but that's the way it was in Jewish culture. So for her, as a woman, to approach a Jewish rabbi was really rather outstanding. Secondly, she was a Gentile. The Jews and the Gentiles don't mix. They're considered outcasts and unclean. This outcast, unclean woman approaches Jesus, a Jewish Rabbi. In fact, in Matthew 15, 22, it tells us she was a Canaanite woman. 
Well, Canaanites were ancient enemies of Israel. We won't take the time to read, but if you jot down Exodus 23, 23, the Canaanites were some of the people that God was to destroy. Why? Because they worshipped pagan idols. And unfortunately, later on, the Israelites began to worship some of those very idols uh, as well. So thirdly, where she lived in Tyre, it would have been full of pagan idolatry. She was probably guilty of idolatry herself. And also, fourthly, Tyre and Sidon were known for their worship of the fertility goddess named Ashtaroth in the Old Testament. According to Judges 10.6, even the Israelites worshipped the gods of Sidon and many other gods. So no respected Jewish rabbi would have given this woman the time of day. You understand? Wouldn't have given her the time of day. But what does Jesus do? He crosses ethnic boundaries. He crosses cultural boundaries. He crosses religious boundaries because he hears the cry of this woman's heart. He hears her urgent request saying, wanting Jesus to come and drive out this demon. She begs him for help. Something we should probably consider in this woman's background, being that she's a woman, a Gentile, a pagan worshiper of idols, is unworthiness. Unworthiness will keep people away from Jesus. It will keep people away from church and the gospel because when people feel like an outcast, when they feel unclean, why would I go to church? Why would I want to be near God? I'm unworthy. And you know what Satan uses in people's lives? That. Guilt. Shame. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us were born unclean. An outcast, were we not? We absolutely were. And Satan uses that in people's lives. Say, oh, I can't go to church. I've heard people say, if I go to church, the roof might fall in. No, the roof won't fall in because it didn't fall in when I came in the building. You understand me? We do not put ourselves on a pedestal. It is only by the grace of God. The ground is level at the cross. We are all lost and broken, dirty, outcast people apart from the grace of God. So this unusual request comes in. Jesus gives an unusual response. Notice what he says in verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It's like, what in the world does that mean? Well, he's speaking in figurative language. What he is telling the woman is this. When he refers to the children, he's talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people, the gospel came to the Jew first. He's saying, let the Jewish people eat first. The gospel came to the Jews first. They are the first priority. He even says in another passage, I think in Matthew, that he was sent to the house of Israel. But then he says, for it is not right to take the children's bread 
the bread that belongs to the Jews, the gospel, and toss it to their dogs. Dogs was a derogatory term, but he did not use the worst derogatory term that he could have used. There's one that talks about scavengers dogs who scavenge for food, but he's only talking more about like a household type dog. But he's saying the little dogs, because that's what Gentiles were called. Dirty, unclean, outcast. And he didn't mean it in a derogatory way. He was trying to show her that the priority was to come to the Jews and then the Gentiles. But she didn't take it in a derogatory way. Notice how she responds. Yes, Lord, she replied. In other words, I agree with you. I I understand where you're coming from. I understand that the gospel comes to the Jews first. But even the dogs, the Gentiles, under the table, eat the children's crumbs. She said, if we just have a little bit of truth, (laughs) we too can participate. If we have a little bit of truth. She wasn't asking for a lot. And she was wanting her daughter healed. No one is worthy of God's grace and forgiveness. God gives it to us freely. She has, her daughter has this demon. Demons are fallen angels with supernatural power. Obviously, this woman's pagan idols would not deliver the demon from her daughter. So now she runs to Jesus. Where are people in the world running to find answers to their problems? Maybe it's not demon possession, but maybe it's a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or some other hang-up or hurt that you have. Where do you go to find relief and healing and deliverance? It can only be found in Jesus Christ. He showed the futility of idols to deliver. And that God could deliver. And she comes to Jesus. So here's a question. Do you and I hear the urgent requests from the world? The world is asking. They don't know how to ask. But when you see someone addicted to drugs, what they're really asking for is, how can I find peace in my life? They turn to the bottle. How can I find peace? How can I find contentment? How can I live with myself? How can I face tomorrow without this drug, without this alcohol? Because they really don't want that. They want peace. They want contentment. They want hope. It's found in Jesus Christ. You and I have that. We have to share that message with the world. There's nobody else that's going to share it. It's called to the church. It's given to us. Jesus took it to her. Interestingly enough, if you go back and read this very account in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples wanted to dismiss this woman and deny her request from even being heard because she was cutting in on their training. Hey, She's cutting in on our time with you, our training. Get her out of here. She's distracting us from our mission. No, Jesus said, she is our mission. She is the reason I came. And she is the reason I will die on the cross. And so are you. 
The Jews were supposed to take the gospel to the world. Here's a quote by Oswald J. Smith. Any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. What are we in existence for? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, we really cease to be the church that God has called us to be. And it's why many church doors end up closing because there's no outreach. What is God calling Bethesda Church to do? Jesus then takes a field trip to Sidon and the Decapolis. Look in verse 31. Well, actually, I should back up and and finish in 29. So he tells the woman, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter because she responded in faith and reverence and humility. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And Jesus wasn't even in the presence of that little girl. Showing his power that distance doesn't matter. He can touch people from a distance. And then he goes on and he takes the field trip to Sidon in the Decapolis. He leaves the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee. Now he's on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, southeastern shore, and into the region of the Decapolis. It's Gentile territory still. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. And he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and said with a deep sigh to him, Ephaphata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, the Decapolis is not a nice neighborhood. If you were a Jew, you probably wouldn't be living in the Decapolis. And you probably wouldn't go there on vacation. That's where the demoniac in Mark 5 was healed. It was a pagan place. Much idolatry in this place. But notice it tells us in this passage, in verse 32, that some brought to him a man who was deaf. It seemed as though they're getting the message that Jesus can do something. And they're bringing people to Jesus. When you and I truly believe that Jesus can change people's lives, it makes it easier to bring them to Christ and invite them to come. Here we see the urgent request. They come and they beg him to place his hand on the man. The compassion of Jesus has spread to some of the people. Their faith in Jesus' ability to heal and deliver was evident. And then we see the unusual response. Jesus takes him aside and he sticks his fingers in his ears. Why? Because, well, he can't hear Jesus talking, so Jesus 
does this so that he knows, I know what your problem is, and I'm going to fix it. And then he takes that saliva, and I don't really fully understand the whole part about the saliva, but I do know in their day, they believed it had a curative power in the saliva. But for Jesus, he didn't really need to do that, but he was showing the man probably that I'm going to heal your tongue and your speech as well, that I can do that. And he was willing to do that and touch the man. And can you imagine when the man could speak words? I mean, I don't know if he could speak before, but he could speak. Usually you have to learn words, and he could speak instantly. God healed him. But I think there's a, a, a lesson here that goes beyond the physical. Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples, do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? Do you hear me? Because back when he fed the 5,000, he says, do you still not hear? Do you still not understand what I'm trying to do? Because if you do not hear what I'm trying to tell you as disciples, you'll never be able to communicate it to the world. You will be like a mute. If we hear, we hear God's word, and we truly hear it, we will be able to communicate it to other people. Do we have enough confidence in the gospel that I know the gospel well enough, that I've heard it well enough, that I can communicate it, and I'm not a mute when it comes to sharing the gospel. John Keith Faulkner said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Let that sink in. We have one candle of life to burn. We should rather let it burn out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. So here's the question I close with. What field trip are you taking to share Christ with someone? With someone. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We see the mission-minded Messiah. He leaves his home and he takes the gospel where the gospel had not been. Gentile territory. God may not call all of us to a foreign field. He may call some of us. But there are people right in our community that we rub shoulders with who are yet in darkness. Unclean, outcasts, just like we were. And God wants to use your mouth that is not mute to share with them so they can hear like the deaf man heard when Jesus opened his ears. 
You see, it's not you and I's responsibility to open the ears of those who are deaf to the gospel. That's God's job. Our job is to be the mouthpiece, the vehicle through which they hear the message of the gospel. I don't have a statistic in front of me, but they say the statistic is so low of people that will actually share the gospel with someone in church. It's the passion of God that His church would be involved in the Great Commission. I want to challenge you to pray about an individual a family, somebody that you know, that you have contact with who doesn't know Jesus, but they need to. We have that message. Perhaps they're bound up with some kind of habit, addiction, struggle, hurt. They really want to be free. I don't think people really want to be controlled by other things. They're looking for ways to cope with life because they don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yourself and you're trying to cope with life and you're doing the best you know how, but your best is not getting it done. You can bring your unclean, dirty life to Christ. Come dirty. He will clean you up. You come as you are in your brokenness and God will heal you and deliver you. I don't know what your struggle is, but God can change your life. He does it from the inside out. You come as you are. Humility, like the woman came in humility. No pretense. Here's my problem. I've got a daughter. She was desperate. Are you desperate to know God? Are you desperate enough to say, I'll humble myself and say, I need Jesus in my life? Because he won't force his way in. But he wants to know you personally. You can ask him into your life right in your seat this morning, right where you sit. God, I'm a sinner. I know I've violated your law, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and shed his blood that I could be forgiven of my sin and I could become a clean person in Jesus. Would you give your life to Christ? And then would you share that with me or someone before you leave that today I gave my life to Jesus? We want to help you grow in your faith in the Lord. And then as you pray about someone that God would lay on your heart to share with, you say, well, I don't know much. You don't need to know much. (laughs) Just share your story. You have a story. And say, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you for the example in Jesus who was willing to go to a dark place to share the gospel. That his heart was burdened for the lost. 
the Gentiles even. And he wanted them to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And so he went. He was an example to the disciples to show them that it's the power of God. That all we have to do is you use weak men and women to declare your message. Because the power of the message does not reside in us. It resides in the message itself. It is a living, active Word of God that changes people. And all we have to do is be a vehicle through which it is shared. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.